I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome to Slammed, a Boston Celtics podcast brought to you by Odyssey. I'm Megan Adelini from WEEI, joined by Esteban Bustios from GBH and Justin Turpin from WEEI. So we are coming off of one of the crazier weeks. I guess we're still in one of the crazier weeks in Boston sports in recent memory. So bear with us because we're all a little scatterbrained from the fallout of, of Bill Belichick. departing the New England Patriots yesterday and then Gerard Mayo apparently being hired today, but we're here to talk about the Celtics. So thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, And and what a day to talk about the Celtics because they're coming off of a 135 to 102 loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's not even as good as that sounds. Uh, I I want to set this up for you guys. So the Celtics overall have been doing excellent on these second nights of these back-to-backs. It's one of the hallmarks of their game, I think, so far this season, who they are as a team. And what we're really looking at with this week in Celtics basketball is what I thought was the best game of the season in that overtime win against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then maybe the worst loss of the season, at least if you just look at it statistically and the fact that it was so bad that TNT had to turn you off in the third quarter because it was the product was no longer presentable to a national audience. And we'll get into the reasons for that, because I think there's a lot of yeah, buts there. But first of all, uh, what game do you think holds more value when we're trying to evaluate this team? I mean, uh, I I, I think I lean towards Minnesota um, just because of of the nature of of that game, the competitiveness in it. Although, I mean, losing to maybe your biggest rival outside of Philadelphia right now uh, in such just it wasn't even a game. I, I, I mean, you could sort of see from the beginning um, they were like it, it, something just wasn't there. Um, so I, I, I want to say Minnesota, but, but it's mostly just because they they showed up that game, you know? <laughs> 
So I'll say this, like, and, and then I'll get to you, Terp, really quick. I just want to set the stage for what happened with the game last night against Milwaukee in case people, for whatever reason, were not aware of all the yeah buts around the situation, which was four of your five starters played 40 minutes plus in that overtime game against Minnesota at home the night before, hop on a plane. Even when you're an NBA player, you're still, uh, and you're flying like an NBA player, you're still getting on a flight to, Mo- to Milwaukee um, and then playing the next night at 7.30. And so I kind of get why your legs might be shot, why you might be exhausted. But um, I, at the same time, I look at that and I go, so I don't, why are you on the floor? You know, why aren't you doing some form of load management? To me, like if you're on the floor, you should be looking to compete. And it looked like pretty early Joe Missoula realized that they didn't have any real compete in them and that the guys were so worn out that he spun it to, hey, we're going to go into a rest mode and take care of the players. And this is what he said after the game, very much in Bill Belichick fashion. He said that he was doing what was best for the team. It's hard. Um, you know, like you said, I, it was my decision. It wasn't theirs. They're going to always want to play. Uh, we do talk minutes and, hey, do you want to stay in here? But I think at the end of the day, I got to do the, the best thing possible. So, um, I, I mean, I guess I don't want to use the phrase throw in the towel. It's more about the perspective of your team and the, where your team is at, right? And uh, you look at our team over the course of these, when we play 38, 39 games. Uh, we've developed a, a you know uh, a toughness, a mindset. We've done a lot of great things on back-to-backs. We've done a lot of great things underhanded, and tonight just wasn't our night. And I think you have to have the humility to know that from time to time. Yeah, when you trail by 37, when you lose by 37, obviously it's embarrassing, especially a team that you're everyone thinks you're going to be seeing in the Eastern Conference Finals. But like the schedule makers did them no favors. Like when you look at it, you play you play five games in seven nights uh you're in three cities in four days they just did them no favors and felt like they never really had a shot and i wonder if the reason they played had to do with the national televised games and the nba kind of pushing guys to suit up during those games granted missoula i I think could just say no and sit them out but I, i wonder if there was some incentive there but it feels like one of those scheduled losses which sounds like such a cheap cop out but in reality that's what this was when you're it's a tough ask for anybody, and no matter how talented you are. And I, like I said, it, it's it's bad to lose in that fashion, but that that's a scheduled loss. Yeah, it it kind of feels like it would be a game like um, back in the day where like someone like Greg Popovich would pull out Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Montejovi. They'd be playing like the Lakers on a Friday night, and they would they wouldn't play, and he would just be he wouldn't care. Now nowadays, obviously, the NBA frowns on that a lot more um than they than they do but I, I think i think justin you you made a point last night on twitter is like even as bad as as that was like to have all your starters be on the floor and just um just get wiped wiped off that floor i mean that's that's not a good look it's inexcusable especially yeah. that, that happened that quick second largest halftime deficit in franchise history that's that's bad i mean is I think- is th- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just. (laughs) You go Go ahead. ahead. All right, all right, all right. right. What is this? uh, How much of a is this a red flag? Is it just oh this happens? Uh, How how do y'all feel about it? So I think it's more of an aberration than anything. 
And part of that is the way that they have been playing on back-to-backs, which is what we started out talking about, which is, you know, they're five and two now, including this game on the second nights of back-to-backs. And that's including having to split some time between Kristaps Porzingis, who I think they're very smartly trying to manage his minutes during the season and what he's doing and various ailments that he's just going to have because of the type of player he is. And also Al Horford, who just doesn't play back-to-backs anymore because of his pre-existing condition of age. And so I just, I, I, I'm going to take it as more of an aberration than they lack fight or they're soft or anything like that. But what you bring up Esteban is so true. Like this is supposed to be your rival in the East and you have somebody, you know, I felt like I feel bad for Drew Holiday because Drew Holiday is talking ahead of time and talking to um, to Ali LaForce, who was doing the game last night as a sideline reporter. And he's saying like, well, yeah, he's in an, a better situation with Boston. And I think anybody who's looking at the game going in would say, yeah, he is in a better situation. He's with the best starting five in the entire league. Meanwhile, you look over at what was happening with Milwaukee. Milwaukee had lost four of five going into this game. I really do think it's more about the circumstances of what was going on around the game in terms of the Bucs having multiple nights off, being at home, and the Celtics coming in the way they were coming in. Like There is a schedule aspect to that. It's just, I don't want to sound like, you know... (laughs) You don't, of, you don't want to make excuses. I don't, I don't want to sound like a sports radio caller, but okay. there is an aspect to it that is like, what would Kevin Garnett do? And I just can't imagine Kevin Garnett and his teams saying, you know what? We're out here and we're playing, but we just don't have it tonight. Like, I didn't get enough sleep on the jet, you know? I didn't yeah. get my regular nap in. I didn't. My legs yeah. are tired, especially if he was 25 years old. You know, right. when you're supposed to be in a championship season, it's just a it's a bad look and it's a bad look on national TV. And it's like as much as people hated what Greg Popovich did with his championship Spurs teams. God, I would rather have seen them say, oh, Jason Tatum is managing his sprained ankle and Jalen Brown has this going on. You know, he's got, I don't know, a knee contusion or something then have them be out there and not a single starter make a three-pointer in the time that they were out there. Like, and Damian Lillard just going off. It's just, it was just ugly. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think that it may have been the first quarter of the first half. I think their three point percentage was 6.7, which was just incredible, incredible. And and to your point about Kevin Garnett, uh, that also may have been sort of their downfall is their, uh, insane over competitiveness where when you know you go later into the the end of that sort of um iteration of the celtics the in- injuries just caught up to them uh so you know it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's a give and take uh situation truly but those were older guys too yeah you know no, it's true it's, it's those true. were older guys so if there's a time that you're going to push a little bit now you got to be strategic about it i'm not saying push al horford push Kristaps porzingis but he didn't play the night before so yeah <laughs> You know, yeah. it's a different situation. Yeah. Uh, and and just to I know we're obviously this this game was was as uh, as bad as it gets. But how given how really incredible the, the, the game just the night before against Minnesota? I mean, how, how did you all feel what that sort of 
sets up the Celtics for, for the rest of this year. So I thought that the game the night before, and I, I want to be clear on this, tells you way more about who the Celtics team is. I didn't like the way that last night's game went. I don't know how anybody following the Celtics would, but I thought my biggest takeaway, first of all, was such a statement from Jason Tatum in overtime. And I I think that's going to be obviously huge that he can you know, have late game surges and really take over in an overtime situation against the best team in the West is the kind of thing that you're going to need in a seven game series. If you're back in the finals, obviously, like for everything we talk about the starting five, if it's going to be Tatum going up against Jokic or going up against Towns and Edwards, you know, whoever you want it to be when you're looking out there, um, he's going to be the real difference maker, even though you have X factors all over, he's going to be the one who determines what your performance is. The other thing is, and this is just because self-accountability, it's something I've been harping on. When the Celtics have been losing these third quarters coming out of halftime, sometimes, oftentimes that leads to a total downfall and they lost that third quarter and then they managed to get it back in the fourth. And then Jason Tatum takes over. To me, that's a recipe for a lot of um, clutch success. So I think that that's something that we can see as, okay, when they're going up against an ultra competitive defense, one of the best defenses in the league, this is where they can show up. And that's a bigger takeaway to me than they were really tired and didn't want to play against Dame and, you know, uh, got cut away from on TNT. They also did it without Chris Tops Porzingis. And everyone, especially in the clutch, has talked about how reliant they are in Porzingis in those moments now. And they did it without him. Jason Tatum rose to the occasion. Jalen Brown defensively, which is, you know, he's made a point to put in work on that side of the ball. And he shut down Anthony Edwards in the fourth quarter in overtime. And then you have Derek White and Drew Holiday making big plays, despite not necessarily shooting the ball well. Derek White draws that charge, channeling his inner Marcus Smart. Then he grabs that huge offensive rebound. Drew Holiday was one of seven from three and knocks down that corner three. It's just that's how the good this team is. They can beat you in so many different ways. And that was my big takeaway from uh, Wednesday night against Minnesota. Yeah, I think I saw a, a, a stat I hadn't seen before um just a couple days ago that that holiday is shooting the highest percentage of any shooter from the corner three uh in the league right that. now yes. yeah that's, that's pretty it, not not necessarily a guy obviously a good shooter but not um not necessarily the first person you would think of on that list but that three obviously clutch and uh i mean him just making that really just like essentially a, a strong safety a free safety play where he snatches the ball out of midair they take it down the court get it to tatum uh at the top of the key um that's as like that's as like the ideal of of what you want uh from from the celtics from this celtics team i think did but at the same time you know there's sort of the asterisk of oh they they did it without porzingis does the fact that gobert wasn't playing for minnesota does that hurt uh, not hurt but does that change how you how you look at this game at all maybe i'm being a bobo it really doesn't you know i don't want to take away from gobert as a defender and that i was i i haven't watched as much Minnesota basketball as I should because like we talked about I don't know if it was a week ago or two weeks ago with OKC like they yeah they don't show they them. do well yeah they they do feel like they're under the radar especially for us out here in Boston um but I 
God, that defense is like they make Boston look small. And so I can only imagine, and maybe part of that is not having Porzingis out there. I can only imagine what it would have been like to have Rudy out there at the same time. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know how much stock you put into what Vegas looks at, but the betting line only moved for the points average with Rudy out like two points up. So that kind of tells you how much they expected uh, him to make an impact on the defense. I I don't take away from the win with that because it, to me, Kristaps for Celtics is greater than Gobert for Minnesota. Um, even though their defense is what was, I think, killing the Celtics during most of the parts of the game when they were struggling. And I mean, also they uh, Mike Conley out for them. Now again, not as 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 much as of a of a contributor as as Gobert, but uh, when you have Anthony Edwards uh, out there, um, yeah, I, I I you have a chance. Um, so you know, it, it was. Uh, I I think I think again, you you said this, Mago. I think probably the most exciting game of the year for the Celtics uh, so far. Um, so yeah, it's really a tale of two games where you have one of the best games they've played uh, really during this sort of run and then just completely just fall flat on their faces the next night, which is understandable. It also took 38 games for them to fall flat on their face. They haven't been blown out once this year. Like the one game you might consider is Orlando on Black Friday, but that was right. close up until the third quarter when Orlando blew them out in those third quarters that Megan's been all over. You know, that's that's was the reason they lost that game. So this is really the first time that they've been blown out. And it took 38 games to happen, which I think means something. Yeah, and it, it happens to almost every team at least once uh, over the course of, of a season. So it makes sense. It also makes me feel a little better about myself because like, if I ever have a bad day or maybe I'm just not on and I, and I see, oh, this happens to you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown too. It's like, oh, I don't feel as bad about uh, how I'm living my life. You know what I mean? This is something that I think is definitely real now. And I wonder what you guys think about it. The 18-0 uh, home court streak which is historic start at home for the Celtics right now. You listen to the way that we don't have the sound. It doesn't matter. But basically, Jason Tatum uh, with Abby Chin from NBC Sports Boston after that win against the Timberwolves, it was one of the things that he highlighted. Like, they're not going to lose at home yet. I wonder what you guys make of it's starting to feel like a little bit of an imbalance about how they're attacking how they play at home versus on the road. And I'm not saying that they're not trying on the road, but it seems like they really, 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 really don't want to lose at home yet. Like this has become a thing for the team that they're focused on. I also think it's like a sense of pride, right? Like when you look at the in-season tournament, like Brad Stevens said, if you make this a competition, everybody's going to try. And now they know that they're currently setting a new franchise record with 18. They're trying to build to that. So I think it is a sense of pride, but I completely agree. You have to be able to win on the road and at home. And that's something they just haven't been able to do this season with all of their losses coming on the road. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, it's more of, of a positive in indication of, of what they could do in the playoffs, uh, especially if things stand as they are now uh, looking at potentially home court throughout the, uh, the playoffs, as long as they're in, um and that's a, that's a really good indicator but yeah like you 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 have to win on the road too but and it's not like they're not uh I, I think it's just the standard of like oh you're perfect at home um can make everything else seem uh just not i, I, I guess quaint and in, in 
in, in respect to that. But I, I, again, it's not like they're necessarily struggling. Uh, but the, 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 I mean, we've all been to TD Garden. Everybody there, they're, they're all nuts. Uh, I, I don't know. Is there any other arena you can think of that sort of stands up to that? Maybe like the Garden? In, uh, yeah, I would in say York? MSG in the playoffs. Um, when I was out at uh, San Francisco at the Chase Center, it was funny because like the the area that we were in for press was like basically like being in the rafters at yeah. TD Garden. And so everybody, when I came home, was making a huge deal out of like, oh, the Chase Center was so loud. And I'm like, you guys, I think that was just the the mics, directional mics towards the court. You know, you know, when you see the guys walking around with the big plastic domes and stuff at football games, yeah. like whatever mics they have near the court and the crowd, because um, I didn't think that I, I agree with you. Like I even in a playoff atmosphere, I don't think that there's much that gets to the point where when you work at TD Garden, even if you're up towards the rafters as um, press, you, you will get a headache. You know, whether it's Bruins or Celtics, you will get a headache if you're up there working without headphones or anything in. It's like it's annoying. It's the building kind of shakes. Yeah, I've, so, I've taken. I'm yeah, sorry, I, I say, I, I've taken to wearing these when I'm there because I, I, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> so that's real. Um, let's move on to take flight because I think we we all want to bury the game that we saw in Milwaukee. We don't need to dwell on it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's move on to Take Flight. This is the segment of our podcast when we go through quicker hits around the NBA. Some still focused on the Celtics, but looking at the league at large as well. And so the first one that we have to start with is a fan favorite, which is, is there real problems going on with the refs? Or is this a bunch of babies? Is this tinfoil hat conspiracy artists, as you said, Esteban? Uh, in our pre-show document. And let's start off by hearing about Jalen Brown, who held an interesting post-game uh, press conference talking about the game against the Pacers in which he believes that he was hit on the head and should have gotten a call there or had the call stand, rather. I think he obviously hit me in the head. I think uh, we definitely need to do some investigation. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I think that was the obvious one. Like I never heard of head part of the ball. Um, doesn't make any sense to me. Then I asked him, I went up and asked, as they were like, did I get hit in the head? He looks me straight in the face, James, and he says, no, you didn't get hit in the head. And I'm like, okay. And then you come down to make, on the other end, uh, like that costs our team a game and you expect us not to be frustrated. You know what I mean? We're trying to build great habits. We're trying to win as many games as possible and we just drop one because of that no so I feel like we got the right to be upset and the league should understand you know of course we're going to say something about it after the game you know so I don't think it should be any fines but I, I definitely think that one should be investigated 
So I, I agree with Jalen, like on the call, I think it was, it was a bad call and that we can go towards whether they should have been in that, the Celtics should have been in that position in the first place. Cause again, they had a terrible third quarter leading up to that. So you can talk about the basketball ramifications of that, but that aside, what do you guys think when you see somebody like, uh, of course, LeBron James jumps in and wants to defend Jalen Brown and talk about the call? Um, do you see something different with the refs re recently or a lack of consistency with the calls? Not just talking about that one in particular. I, uh, I, before we get into, I guess, even the, the broader uh, issues uh, that people may or may not have with refs, I do have to say the last two minute report was the funniest way it could have happened where they said, okay, so the foul that everybody was mad at, that was definitely a foul. We're not going to take that back. But then the foul that Porzingis looked like he probably committed, that was a, wasn't a foul. That was our bad. And then there was a secret third foul that was also against the Celtics that should have gone their way. Um yeah, that's it's it's the funniest way it could have happened uh, for for all of that to play out the way it did. I don't know if there's a a, a broader sense. I, I will say, looking across th this week has been bad for the refs, as we mentioned. LeBron sort of uh, responded as well in support of Brown. Uh, Rap Raptors head coach had his uh, like three four minute tirade against the refs um, uh, when they played the Lakers when it looked like. Uh, they, I think the Lakers had like 23, 24 free throws in that in the fourth quarter alone. Um, and, and there was, and he was upset about that uh, to, to the, the Celtics Pacers issue. I understand why they would be mad about those last few calls, but you missed nine free throws in a two point game. Uh, I think they shot like 68% from, from the line that game. If you hit four free throws, we're not even having this conversation. And my general policy on refs is you can't put yourself in a position where an official can change the game. If you if you say it was a call, usually you go back and there was something else along the way that could have changed this outcome. So uh, I understand why people would be frustrated, but also, as you said, Michael, like the Celtics had a chance to win that game. Uh, and it wasn't just those last few calls that that did it for them. Not to mention they were without Tyree Talliburton for the whole second half. True. That is a big, yeah, also that. Um, I'll say this. There is something to this current setup of the way that the refs respond with their reports after the fact and the way that the players are penalized to the extent that they talk about the refs. And you hear when Jayla Brown's talking post game, like, I don't want to he basically saying, like, I don't want to get fined for saying this, but he has a real problem with it. And the athletic does this players poll um, every year where they survey NBA players. And back in April 2023, a quarter of the players surveyed last year named officiating as the league's biggest problem. And they cited what they felt was a lack of accountability and a lack of consistency. Uh, one anonymous player said, there's none. There's just not a system set up for it. It's been really shaky, just something to keep them accountable. I don't know if I want to take their money, but something to have them have some type of, I can't F this up mentality is what one anonymous player said. And it's true. It's like, 
I don't, I don't know if the answer is okay. We're going to find refs when they make a bad call because some of it truly is human nature. It's not like it's, um, I don't think at this point in, with the NBA, I know it has a sketchy history from our childhoods about officiating. I don't think that there's malicious intent in missing these calls or maybe calling the game a certain way, but you certainly want there to be a consistency, especially when you get to the playoffs um, in understanding what's acceptable in the flow of the game. And on top of that, if the players are going to have accountability to the point where players and refs can't, I mean, players and coaches rather can't really talk about the officiating to a certain extent after a game, then I think that there should be some kind of accountability for the refs as well. And maybe that's a grading system. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's a system and the part of your grade that you receive determines the different crews that you're allowed to be on. I don't know. This could get very political, but I do think that scorecard. Exactly. So I do think that there, there's a certain, um, there's room for growth is what I would say, aside from just being like, terrible call, you blew it. Right. Right. And, or like the idea that like, oh, games are rigged or like if, if games, like why would the Celtics lose to the Pacers? Like why, why would, why would that be a rigged game? You know what I mean? Um, I'm still trying to figure out why the Pacers seem to be on every on yeah. every other night against the Bucks and the Celtics. So I don't That's know. True. <laughs> uh, but it, it, you, you do bring up a really interesting point, and it's like it, the the when you when you sit and think about it, like the refs have a a stranger position than I think they've ever had in the league, where you have like guys like Scott Foster who are household names as officials, which I don't know if we've ever had for before in the league. Um, and I, I don't know if, if the NBA uh, is it just like upfront enough with that, where it's like people pay attention. They know who these people are more than, than we ever have. Uh, they obviously play a huge part in the, in the game, not in a way that, that, you know, you always want, but I, I think you're right. Like there does have to be, there has to be a way to draw uh, accountability to them. You you know you, you need to be able to have a constructive back and forth between the teams and and the officials, um, without it getting to the point where now like parents of little league kids think it's okay to to yell at you know fifteen year old refs because uh, I think as I think that does trickle down. Is, as somebody who was a ref in high school, I can say that's nothing new. <laughs> but right. I do think. I do think that you bring up an interesting point about like, Boris being kind of an, um, sorry, I am mixing up my names here, but about um, refs being yeah, Scott Foster, kind of, yeah. yeah, I was thinking of Scott Boris from yeah, you're <laughs> somehow good, you're my, good. my MLB brain jumped in um, Foster being a household name for most who are not deep in the agent workings of the MLB. Um, I think that it also is only going to get more intense with the gambling markets going the way that they are. If you start to think that, Hey, they're not hitting the over because the refs are not making the right calls and getting the team to the line. Like then it starts getting, then it's people thinking that you're playing with their money and that starts getting really complicated, especially when the leagues are trying so hard to have a separation of church and state with the gambling companies who are also you know, advertising every other commercial break on all their channels. No, it's true. It's um, 
it, it's a complicated relationship to to say to say the least. Uh, Terp, it, 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 how do you? I mean, is is there a, a way forward that you think there can be? Because I don't necessarily think the refs are are bad overall. It's just when stuff like this happens, everybody pays attention. Is there a way to to constructively build on this relationship? I don't know if there necessarily is because I don't know if you can find them, right? I'm not a referee expert. I don't know what their average salary is, but I can't tell you it's that like I can't believe it's that high. Also, like the one thing they have to do when they do make a mistake is maybe a pool report and it doesn't even really happen. That's in a closed room and it's all in written form. So is it really that? bad like when you have to just explain the mistake you made in a written form that it's it's really not that bad but there has to be some accountability because especially when you start bringing this gambling thing it's like that changes the game a lot like that's everyone's going to instantly think that someone's messing with their money i think that's just human nature like everyone is so everyone's money driven everyone cares about their money and i think when you start to bring that factor in it, it really does change things a lot so they have to find a way to find a balance there and uh, i don't know what exactly it would be but that that's on the league they have to find that out because some of these calls and some of these these rants are kind of getting out of hand it's kind of taking away from the product a little bit yeah i mean uh, the 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 bigger issue i don't know if the bigger issue but uh, the issue overall i think is is uh not even with like bad calls but like when you you, you want to find officials who can manage the flow of the game without getting in the way of that flow, uh, which is very difficult to do. And I think we saw a little bit of that uh, even last night. Uh, all of this being said, uh, I don't want to be an official. That seems like one of the hardest jobs uh, in the world. I don't know which one would is I, scares me more the thought of being an NFL official or an NBA official. Well, the NBA... The NBA officials have to wear those deeply unflattering shirts, so I think I'm more scared <laughs> by that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but though, I mean, it's it's an almost impossible job for them to do, uh, and they have to to stand up on a night to night basis against the best players in the world and tell them, "No, you're wrong." Uh, not to mention all the fans watching at home, uh, potentially putting money on on these games. Uh, yeah, it's it's a I, I have a, a deep amount of respect for what they do. At the same time uh the league uh can't can do more i think always to to make this a better experience for everyone there's room for improvement let's move on to uh our second take because we could probably talk about refs for the next 30 minutes but there's other podcasts for that um nba all-star voting the second round of returns are in and when you look at the eastern conference right now you have four four actually all five celtics players are yeah. named on this ballot. So this is the long list of ballots. You have uh, Jason Tatum getting the most votes with uh, 2.9 million. And then you get down to Jalen Brown, Christophs Porzingis, and then you have both guards, Derek White, and even Drew Holiday coming in with uh, 312,000 votes. What do you guys make of this? What do you think is the likelihood of, guess where's the cutoff of how many Celtics you think right now will be appearing at all-star weekend yeah uh, i guess first do we all agree that tatum and brown are going again because yeah. i think that for that, sure that seems like that's gonna happen right so and to be I, clear I think, this is this is fan voting right right um so i think i think the the early returns are on the money for tatum and brown personally just looking at the lists so far and and where people are uh that's my cutoff for the Celtics just because I think there's so much other talent I want to see in that game. Um, but I'm interested to hear, hear, hear what y'all think. 
When you consider the front court, I think Kristaps Porzingis can slide in there too. I think the one thing that would hurt him is how many games he's missed. But when he's on the floor, he's one of the most fun players to watch and e- easy for us to say. But I think you're kind of seeing that now on a national level. The, the Celtics have had a lot of national attention and you're seeing how good of a player he really is. And he's only been an all-star once. So I, I would like to see him get in too. And I think he has a real shot. So it's interesting looking at this fan voting because where Porzingis slides in is he's right behind Brown and he basically has somewhere around, I'm not a mathematician, but like close to half as many votes as Brown, slightly more than half, maybe like closer to two thirds as many votes. And Bam is right behind him. And I look at it and I go, I wonder how many people are looking at the front court voting and going like, well, we need some bigs in there. And here are the bigs whose names I know in the Eastern Conference. And Kristaps Porzingis, if you follow the narrative of him right now is, you know, he was obviously a unicorn coming into the league when he was with the Knicks, a giant name back then, and then disappeared in Dallas, uh, had a quietly great season with the Wizards but really only got a ton of attention about how great his season was with the Wizards when he gets traded to the Celtics. And now he does appear to be, I think by most people following the league, a an, a delicate X factor for the Celtics. And so it to me is about, okay, how much playing time is he getting leading up to voting? Uh, how many statement performances will he have? And can he show himself to be a really dependable guy who's a big enough piece of the Celtics team that's not just Jalen and Jason. But I really feel like right now that's kind of, it's like a 60-40 split to me as to whether or not he's going to be there. Yeah, and my my only issue, because uh, I, I think in the first return of voting, Bam had a higher, he had more votes than Kristaps. And I, I think he... I think Bam should be an All Star. He's he's he has a bet. He's having a better season right now than he did last year when he was an All Star. Uh, when you think about you know true bigs in the East, it's probably Giannis Embiid and then Bam. Uh, if, if we're just speaking honestly, um, so I I would put him above Chris out just because of, of what he's producing for his team uh, and just being sort of the him and Jimmy Butler being sort of the centerpieces of, of that team. Um, so that that that's where it's hard for me. And, you know, I know there's been this conversation about, Oh, white should be an all-star. It's interesting to me that the, that same momentum hasn't carried for, for Porzingis. Cause if there's a third Celtic, who's an all-star, I think it, to your point, Justin, it should be Porzingis um, because of, of everything we just talked about. Uh, but it, it, this is the problem with, with this, uh, with the game is that there's so much talent. You can't include everyone, you know, and, and somebody's going to have to lose out on this. And shout out the Celtics. They are pushing this movement to get all five of them there. Last Friday, the PR team gave us like gift boxes with like instead like trying to get us to post stuff. They gave Hold us a on. t-shirt. What? what was in there? It was like a t-shirt. Uh, it was a light, it was like one of those it was like a magnet license plate that said Indy Five, trying to get all five there. Um, there was a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. It was a ton of stuff. It was great. It was very, they, they're, very generous they're, of them. You don't they're have an pushing it. Though, do you? They're they're trying to bribe you. They're pushing the fan voting, so they're trying they're trying to get uh, us to share it and push the fan voting. So they're really trying bribery. Yeah, I'm gonna have to is. talk to uh, Christian Meg over there about this. Christian knows what he's oh, doing. Was, he wants all five yeah. represented. It's a great. I don't job. know if like that's it. in the rule book. <laughs> they're just trying harder. <laughs> well, if it is, you know, she ain't trying. So good for them. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm just gonna ask who. 
I, I, I know we're, 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 we're still early on this. Who is, who is, who do y'all think is going to be at least the starting five for, for the East uh, and, and the all-star? I'll let you go first, Terp. I think Tatum and Brown will both be in there. Uh, Embiid, uh, well, no, because that's be too. So it'd probably it'd be Halliburton, Trey Young, Embiid, hmm. Young, Giannis, wow, Tatum. Yeah, yeah because well, I'm thinking Trey Young's the second, and yeah, he's kind of he's got a couple more, but he, he's barely ahead of Dame. But I think Trey Young will get in just. Just yeah, he, he's he's also one of the most interesting uh, people to deal with, because I think there's like the three people who are probably like on like like one of them has to go for me. It's uh, Trey Young, Jimmy Butler, Paolo Banchero. I think all of them should get in. And I'm, I'm really kind of upset that Paolo Banchero doesn't have as many votes as I think he should have just for what he's doing for Orlando and making them uh, really a, they're a playoff contender, uh, a breakout, a breakout team. Uh, and he, he, what he's he's doing should be worthy of recognition. Uh, I am the Trey Young part is 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 uh, is fascinating to me, but I, I think the five I I'm thinking just in my head, probably Dame, Halliburton, Tatum, Giannis, Embiid for the East at least. Yeah, I think I still put Giannis above Embiid. I don't know how the overall voting will go in that way, but um even just it may be recency bias coming off of Giannis last night. Like, like can we just have a quick aside Yeah, for Giannis's yeah. brother and the Massive. fury, the fury that he started on Twitter with his horrible appearance in the Celtics game last night. And I got people on Twitter being like, it's disgusting that Giannis's brother has a spot on this roster for all the NBA, for all the NBA, you know, players in the g league the g league players trying to get a roster spot yeah. this is disgusting he's the I highest like he cheerleader in the league <laughs> cause problems too like when he's on the sideline he's always causing problems and then he gets in he's like a bull in a china shop just following everybody that's that's what you want from that kind of player though right he's he's uh you know it, it feels like a lot of teams need that that sort of guy who's like you know what I don't care how many. I don't care what my stats are. I'm just gonna He's just a goon. mess things up. Yeah, yeah. He's I'm a basketball version up. of a goon. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we don't have a lot of those in the NBA. Is the thing, and it, yeah. he only exists because of his brother. Yeah. Uh, if he was a Celtic, the Celtics fans would love him. So I'll, I'll just he'd be I'll the next Taco. Yeah, if he was yeah. A Celtic. Hundred percent. God bless Taco. Um, you know what? Let's wrap up with this one. As we said to start the pod, uh, we're all a little punch drunk over here because uh, we found out Bill Belichick mm-hmm. had the weirdest press conference ever yesterday. Uh, he wore <laughs> a very nice jacket um, and is out with the New England Patriots. And so you posed this question, Esteban. What is the NBA equivalent of Belichick leaving the Patriots that you can think of in the NBA. So is this like based in your question? Is this based in reality of like something we've seen play out or what you think would be a situation to play out like a hypothetical? I was thinking more, which sort of coach in the NBA has had that sort of same impact, which, which NBA coach is the closest NBA parallel uh, to, to Belichick. And I think, I was I was I was thinking about it and I my after you know I, the obvious names that come up are probably like Popovich or Phil Jackson I think it may be Pat Riley 
Uh, that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah, just like a uh, no matter where he was, like uh, an air an aura of like extreme accountability. Um, just where it, whether it was the Heat or the Knicks or, or the Lakers, just incredibly tough teams, uh, physically tough teams. Um, he dressed it's, better than Belichick. Uh, yeah, but no, True. just true hatred for others in the league too yeah like, yeah like and nobody liked up, him no like not made up feuds like he truly yeah. hates other people who he, he has competed against or he has a backstory with like it's true you know can't yeah. stand this guy yeah and, and and then maybe even like the second guy i was thinking of was even going back even further maybe red maybe red arbach just in terms of having that much control over uh, a single franchise. Um, I don't know. What, what, what do y'all think? The red one is a, is a great one. I saw Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe wrote a column on that saying that those two are kind of one of one, uh, which I haven't got a chance to read yet, but I always enjoy Shaughnessy. So I got to give that a read. Uh, to me, Pat Riley was the one that immediately jumped out and it's because of uh, a sense of culture. You know, there's so much dumb debating that happens around Belichick's career. How much of it was Brady? How much of it was Belichick? Or the first three trophies, Belichick trophies, and the last three Lombardies are Brady's. Um, I think what Belichick did, though, was establish a certain culture here for a long time. And then it kind of ran its course. And you can talk about all the issues with the personnel and his job as a GM and that's for a football podcast. But I think when you look at what Pat Riley does, like I have a habit of mocking the heat culture thing, but wherever Pat Riley goes, like that culture, the heat, cult, heat culture real. and heat culture in the Patriot way are like yeah. very similar. I mean, they have different sensibilities, but the, the strength of culture comes from the top. And with both of those guys, I think that's that's really, really difficult to replicate or build. And that's the most uh, one-to-one comparison that I can find, even though everybody looks at Popovich as a coach and how he comports right. himself in press conferences. I look at Pat Riley. Yeah, Justin, you were at the game, right? I, I was in the press box, but you were out there in the stands for Bill. Oh, yeah, I had to go. If it was Bill's last time, I had to be there. That's my whole childhood. I couldn't miss it. I couldn't miss yeah. it. Yeah, so who, who do you think is the NBA parallel? I'm with Megan on that one. I think Pat Riley's the perfect one, and I think the close second would be Greg Popovich. Like you said, how he conducts himself in the press conferences, even the five championships with the Spurs, same thing as Belichick with the Pats. It's like there's an interesting parallel there, but Pat Riley's the one. I mean, that I love the comparison between the Heat culture and the Patriot way. I think that's right on. And, uh, yeah, I think the close second would be Greg Popovich. And maybe if you want to look at it more of like a somber tone, like even Popovich – Fading out at the end, just like Bill did, right? Talent kind of leaves him, and now things are kind of outdated. And he also runs the personnel uh, decisions in San Antonio. So um, I look at it like Popovich would be a close second, but Pat Riley is right on the money. All right. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time, so we can't talk about Ime Odoka coming back to Boston. But maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Ime Odoka will be uh, back in Boston on Saturday with the Houston Rockets. So we're going to have to talk about that next week, what kind of reception he gets. I think he's going to get a very warm one from the players. 
who played under him because they adore that guy. But thank you for joining us on Slammed, a Boston Celtics podcast, which, of course, you can find on our Odyssey app and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Guys, you take care this weekend. Hopefully you can get some sleep uh, after you report everything developing with the Patriots. Hopefully there's no news tomorrow on Saturday and everybody can chill. Please.